Uh, we'll do the definition of intentional and then where can people find you? All right. So definition intentional for me is, is about being deliberate, right? Is you need to create this environment so you can make deliberate decisions. Welcome to Intentional Growth, a show that teaches you as a business owner and entrepreneur to view and run your company like a financial asset, which will allow you to enjoy work, create wealth, and make an impact. This mindset will help you focus on building a more valuable business and give you the choices to grow, acquire, reinvest, or exit and live the life you plan for, all with intention. And now here's your host, Ryan Tansom. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode this week of Intentional Growth. I have a great guest in store for you today. His name is Bill Flynn. He's an entrepreneur and author. And I met Bill at the Small Giants conference that I spoke at. Small Giants is the conference that Bo Burlingham, the author of Finish Big and Small Giants, puts on. And when I was listening to Bill tell me his story the first night, I couldn't wait to get him on the show. And Bill has been through 10 startups, some of them wildly successful, some of them not so much. And then he has spent years and years consulting. And Bill took what he found to be the recipe of success and he put it in his book, Further Faster. And I'm very excited because of how Bill approaches business and how he thinks things logically go in order. And so Bill talks about getting further faster. The first component he's going to break down is how team dynamics and having a rock star team dynamic is unbelievably important and it's more so important than having an individual contributor that is an elite star athlete in the business world because team dynamics is what is going to be the necessary vehicle to bring the business and execute the strategy that the company has and I've watched people that have endless amounts of money and a poor team and they get nowhere for obvious reasons and then Bill breaks down the second component which is strategy and execution but it's in the same section. And this is one of my favorite parts because so many times there are operational systems out there like EOS or OKRs where you have this execution machine, but it's lacking sometimes in the strategy of like, what are the choices and the strategies that the company's executing against? So Bill talks about how we have to define strategy, which he does for us. And so we define and break down strategy and then we define and, and we unpack how execution has to be tied to that strategy Otherwise, we can go off the rails in a different direction that we don't want to be in. And then the third component is cash. Cash flow and cash is the oxygen of the business, and it's the ultimate truth teller. It is the scorecard. We're either growing our cash flow or we're decreasing our cash flow in relationship to our goal. And so today, I challenge you to think about what is your target equity valuation at what point in time and what income do you need on the way there? So what Salary and distributions do you need on the way to your target equity valuation at what point in time? Because once you know that and you and any partners or investors that you have, you can then go to management and say, here's our target. Then what kind of strategy and execution and team and cash do we need to get there? So I think that the entire conversation with Bill and I makes sense if you've identified your clear goal and then the purposeful action is what we're going to be talking about today, knowing that we have to create sustainable, predictable, transferable cash flow to grow the value of the company. If you want to know how to do this, go check out the Intentional Growth Starter Kit where I walk through how to project out the value of a company using the financials and then that'll help you more effectively use concepts like what Bill's talking about. So without further ado, here's my interview with Bill Flynn. 
You ever found yourself in your office after an executive meeting and you're sitting there going, I have huge decisions to make, whether it's hiring that next key employee, buying that next piece of machinery, buying a building, launching a location or product or whatever it might be. And you're sitting there going, is this the right decision? And then you think back about the original vision you had when you started the business or the vision you have right now that you know is possible in the marketplace. And you sit there and go, how do you know and how do I know that what I'm doing is the right thing when realistically you have the option just take all the money home and solve for annual cash flow and essentially just have a job that's kicking out a lot of cash the reason that you would do all those things is because you want to grow a company that's worth a bunch of money that gives you the freedom of choices to do what you want long term whether that's take a back seat and be a passive investor whether that's sell part of it or some of it essentially just have as many choices as you want but what we find is that most times entrepreneurs and business owners are solving for annual cash flow because they don't know how to measure and monitor the value of the business and where they are today and how what they're investing and doing is growing a more valuable business and how to measure that into the future. And I had experienced the exact same thing. I ran a family business that was doing 20 million in revenue, 100 and some employees. And my dad and I had this constant conversation back and forth about what we should be doing and where we should be going, but we never really knew whether what we were spending our time and money on was making us progress towards that eventual goal of having a valuation that we wanted that gave us the choices. So then you have to sit there and go, maybe I should just take the money home or I should just hope and pray. That is exactly why we created this financial assessment because if you organize your financials in a certain way, and we have this financial foundation with four components, you take this assessment, it's 22 questions, you don't need your financials, and at the end result of it, there's a results page where Pat, my partner, and I walk through five videos to show you a case study of what good looks like and how to actually project out the future value of the company and how you can make the decision's clear today to say, if I do these things, what's the impact on cash flow today, my ability to fund my growth, take the distributions, pay for taxes, all while staying in line, progressing towards the valuation that I want. So go take the assessment below and I hope you enjoy. Bill, how are you? I'm doing great, Ryan. How are you? I'm excited. So we, this is our second attempt. You and I tried uh, before, and I'm actually very excited because uh, as I was looking back and saying, okay, well, we got to really capture Bill's story. And you've done some very unique stuff from uh, your your journey as an entrepreneur of taking, well, I just said organized chaos, but you know, you've really taken and systematized making sure people can execute towards the right goals. So why don't you just give everybody an overview of like what you're doing now and, we'll, and then we'll go back and kind of give everybody the context and talk about really how are you actually making uh, the impact that you are with the companies that people are working with you on. Sure, sure. Yeah, happy to do that. And you know, Ryan, the magic is in the rewrite. So, you know. Agreed. I like it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, f for me, I, uh, my mantra is that I think it's a shame that really good ideas, really good people and really good companies fail or struggle for completely preventable reasons. Um, there is a science to business, uh, but there's a, there's a gap between what science knows and what business does. And, and that's sort of what my book does. I mean, not completely. It's not, I'm not giving you every single thing I've ever learned, you know, um, over 30 years, et cetera, but, um, I'm a big fan of Pareto. So I sort of took, what are the few things mm -hmm. that I've seen in the research I've done and the people I've talked to and the experience I've had that if you did these things really well, <clears throat> you're well on your way. 
to getting there. So that's what the book is. And it focuses on three areas um, that I believe are good ones to focus on. I don't have all the answers that, you know, it's, I'm not this sort of magical person who, who has, but, um, but no, I'll no give you a, before you keep going though, like when you and I were talking at the small giants conference, it's synthesizing the most important part. So that <laughs> way, like the Pareto's principle, you can make sure that you're focusing on the right thing. So I, I think, you know, there's an art bill to synthesizing the right stuff and it's a lot of work. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of what I did. Um, and the three areas that I focused on were team, uh, and team is, you know, we always say it's the team, but they don't go into much depth on what does that mean to the team, right? And uh, the team is super important. There's research out there that says that most people are on at least one team, 80 some odd percent of people surveyed and like 20,000 people were surveyed. They're on at least one team, about 60 to 70% of those are on more than one team or two teams. And then another 75% of those are on more than, more than two. Well. Yeah, yeah. So teams get most of the, the work done. And, and, you know, as I say in my book, performance is a team sport. You really have to understand how to attract the right people to the team. But first you have to step back and say, okay, what is our team doing, right? What what are they trying to accomplish? How do we know when this team is successful? And then what are the pieces that go into making that successful? And that's how you hire, right? We usually hire for an individual. Mm. And I think we've learned, especially in sports uh, in the last 10 or 15 years, that you hire with the concept of the team in mind, and then you find the pieces that are the best ones. And I know that um, this is you know, probably not some of your fans will like, but I, I live in New England, and so I'm very familiar with Bill, Bill Belichick. <laughs> and, you know, and I think he's done a great job, right? He figured out this is what the team does, right? This is what the overall team does. Here's what the defensive team does. Here's what the offensive team does. Here's what the special team does. And he hires players, not mm-hmm. because they're like awesome mm-hmm. at one thing. You know, He hires them because he wants them to do a job or a set of jobs. You know, He definitely... Uh, helps them do that. And I think that that really applies well to a leader, right? You really have first have to understand what kind of team are we? How do we contribute to the success of the organization? You know, if you're the, if you're the highest team being, you know, mm-hmm. the, the leadership team, then obviously it's the overall organization, but each there, there are teams that, that teams of teams that do that as well. So I go in a lot of depth on that. There's a lot of research, Amy Ebenson, Simon Sinek, a lot of these people have really done a ton of research on teams. Um, and then the next thing is that, um, you know, strategy and execution are not really two different things. They're, they're two parts of the same thing. Right. Um, and I, I have gone, uh, to, um, dozens and dozens of, you know, speaking events and more sort of workshop things. And I would ask this question of, of folks and, and I would say, so what's the biggest barrier to growth of your business? And they would off, often come up with what I would call operational issues, right? We're not doing the right things. We're not doing them well. We're not mm-hmm. doing them on time, whatever. And then I say, well, what are you executing on? And then there's usually a pause. And then, you know, they, they come up with all sorts of answers. And I, and I basically say, look, you're executing on your strategy, right? I said, so what might be happening and why you're frustrated with all these people is that they're executing on their version of the strategy, uh, and if yeah. I went to your Monday morning's leadership team meeting and had everyone write down their, their strategy, you know, what the, in their own words, what the current company strategy is. And by the way, I've done this. And then we read them out loud. I said, what would happen? And I usually get a, a laugh or a smile, like, oh, they'd be all over the place. And I said, yeah. I said, so your job is to get them literally and figuratively on the same page mm-hmm. of what is our strategy. And then the execution will follow from that. So they, they, they yep. connect. And then lastly, if you do those things right, strategy is top line, 
execution is bottom line. You drive cash. Cash should be your primary financial growth metric, which I know you love. Um, <laughs> yeah, I gave you the big old thumbs up for the listeners. I'm like, oh yeah, it's the um, oxygen, it's, man. It's the only thing that won't lie to you on your balance sheet or your PL. Everything else you can make up or move around or pay yourself less or do whatever. <laughs> I love it. And if you want to grow, you have to spend money. And typically you have to spend money in front of growth. So when I work with my clients, we do is we work out a three-year plan and we say, how much will this plan cost? How many people do we need? What other things do we need? Do we need to buy things, software, facilities, whatever? Then we pull up the financial plan and say, okay, how do we make this happen? Um, and, and as you know, for someone who helps people to, to sort of sell their businesses is when you can show a predictable, you say, hey, three years ago, we said we were going to do this, 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 and this, and we did it. And by the way, you know, this is, we're in year five and we're still doing it, right? We're just rolling our three-year plan forward. Your multiple will go up tremendously uh, because, you know, you're one, you made yourself redundant probably, which is mm-hmm. what they want, right? They don't want mm-hmm. you to have to stay in the business. There's predictable revenue. You probably have some, what it call Rembrandt's in the, in the attic, right? You've got these things that yep. you're also working on, which aren't necessarily directly contributing, but have that stuff. You can you can you can have a multiple that's ten tens of X as opposed to three to five, which is you know the the mm-hmm. standard thing most people kind of go for, um, and that's all doable and it's been done, but hardly anyone ever does it. This is gonna be a fun conversation. I, I love <laughs> that. No, I, I love I love how you opened and set the, the the container for this bill because it's very fascinating and and the order of how you lay that out in your book and in your process because. When I've always like when I've over the last decade as I've dove into all hundreds and companies, it's like, okay, like and we're gonna unpack this of strategy versus execution. Cause you know, like EOS has just got so much momentum over the last decade. But then I go in, I'm like, what are you guys aimed at? And they're yeah, like exactly. 20 million in revenue. And like the listeners <laughs> probably get Yeah, woohoo. Yeah, like well, and then I was like, Well, if we would have sold when we had 20 million in revenue, we would have owed the bank money. So like who cares? And so like what right. this this goal that's been off, but then when I think about like, so I've, it's been me trying to force people into this target equity valuation as a goal. But then as I watch Bill, like, and this will really slide right into your process is like, once people have like a plan, so like, let's like, let's say I were to build you out your three statement model and you're like, okay, we got your target normalized EBITDA years into the future. And you build yeah. this forecast. I'm like, Bill, how, how confident are you that you're going to hit that? And you know what people normally do is meh. And it's because they're missing the people, the strategy. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, so they're like, well, well, great. We got this forecast, but where are we going and why? So I think it's so fascinating how you just rolled in. Well, then it's the strategy execution in the people strategy, execution and cash all tied to the long-term goal. Yeah. Like, like tied to, they're all right. It, Cause like, I think about, well, let's just have you dive into ops versus strategy. Cause mm-hmm. I like, like, I think so many, and maybe difference between goals and strategy. I don't know if, how, how you would clarify all that. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because um, uh, uh, the word you use is one I use often, which is confidence, right? Is um, I know this is attributed to Abraham Lincoln. I don't know if he actually said it, but it's the one that he says is, you know, the best way to, to predict the future is to create it. And that's what we do, right? And when you're creating your future, and by the way, you're seeing, oh, we were right or we were close to right, you know, your confidence builds, Mm. Um, you know, and it's not overconfidence. It's not hubris. It's like, you know, we're, we're really doing the right things. We're looking, zooming out, we're zooming in, you know, we're doing all these things. And strategy is, is a really interesting word. It's overused so prolifically. <laughs> it's amazing. Right. And, and I, I often just for fun, cause I, I usually like to just stir things up. 
and I can do this because I was a VP of sales eight times. I've been in sales for 25 years, right? We're, we're going to get into your story about how this all ties together, but yeah, yeah. I, I, want you to keep, I want to keep your chain of thought here. I like it. When people say, you know, this, our sales strategy, I said, there's no such thing as sales strategy. Sales is all execution. Just focus on the, it's a method. It's an approach. It's not a strategy. A strategy is thinking, right? Um, uh, you know, and what is it? Sun Tzu says, you know, um, um, when you don't have strategy, that's the noise before the defeat. Ooh, yeah. Right. Yep. You know, tactics without strategy is the noise before the defeat. Mm-hmm. And that's true. That's what happens. And I do the same thing. I, and I actually just did this the other day with, with a potentially new client. And I, and I just said, let's talk about strategy. And I, I asked everyone to just give their definition of strategy, just the word. <laughs> and they were all different. And they were like the plan and the roadmap and whatever. And I said, I said, it's not really a roadmap, right? You can have a strategic plan. But strategy isn't the plan. It's the thinking that drives the plan. It's how are we going to succeed? What are the things that we're going to focus on that really, um, when they come together as interdependent variables, make the difference, right? Um, and so, so that's that's the it's focus. The thinking, of yeah. It's it, but you you highlighted on such an important part, Bill, because like how many meetings I've been in or. It, People are just picking things in these group meetings that are there when they think they're coming up with a strategy, but there's no thinking going on. Yeah. And they, what would be maybe some examples of the thinking? Like, okay, like what are some of the, the thoughts people are, are like the decisions people are thinking through to clarify their strategy? Yeah. So, so strategy is primarily about choice, right? And it's choosing mostly what not to do versus what to do. You really have to decide and, and this is based upon two things, right? A strategy has two major components to it or two major areas, which is external and internal, right? You have to see what is the white space in the industry that either isn't being served or isn't being served as well as it could be, right? And an example of this is Waze, right? Waze decided it wasn't going to be in the maps business. Google said it was in the maps business, right? And they made a much better map and they put MapQuest out of business really and, and whatever, mm-hmm. but they didn't really solve the main problem that most people use a map for, which is to get from point A to point B on time. So Waze came at it completely differently and said, you know, so how would we do that, right? What, what's available? What's out in the marketplace? And they understood that we all had phones and we had the um, geopositioning and we had the other stuff, uh, uh, the name I can't remember. Um, and they said, how do we use that? And uh, so they, they came at it a completely different way. And Google bought them for over a billion dollars, mm-hmm. right? And they were tiny. They were only five years in. They, they were bought for a billion dollars because they looked at the problem differently. They looked at the marketplace and said, what's the white space and, and, and what mm-hmm. isn't being served? How can it be served better? Um, so that's sort of one example. And then internally, you also have to make sure that you're doing things that you can be great at and you enjoy, Right. Caveat you, on the if, last second on that second part right there, right? Because yeah, you, know, if, yeah. you, you can be great at it, but if you don't enjoy it, you Why? probably won't do the hard work. Because you know you you've done it and you've you, you've lived it, uh, and you've seen it. Is when you really don't like what you're doing, every day is not very fun. <laughs> Yeah. And you're not, not going to make really good decisions. Yeah, and or you're not, or like it's not going to be enjoyable to do the hard stuff because like reward comes after hard work. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So when you love something, right? And this is sort of deli- the deliberate practice thing that that's been going around, right? You really have to love it. The ones who are really great at a skill, be it violin or something else, they love it because you know what? Some of the stuff 
really sucks. <laughs> and, you, and you're like, you just got to do it. Cause you like have the, the long, you're more purposeful in what you're doing, yep. you know? And that's, you know, I, I'm also a one person who, who this passion versus purpose. I don't think being passionate is, is really a great asset. And they're talking about, you have to follow your passion, be passionate. Like passionate is fleeting, but purpose has endurance to it. Right. And so when you love something, you're generally tied to your purpose. So what you have to do is say, where's the white space in the industry? How can we be different? Because when it comes to strategy, this is my convoluted sentence, so I'll say it and, and we can unpack it if you want, is when it comes to strategy, different and better is best, but different is always better than better. Well, yeah, let's do it again. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> With strategy, different and better is yep. best, but different is always better than better. Better is hard. If you just want to be better than people, then then they'll always catch you, and you're just going to be keep leapfrogging. It's it's gonna it's a marathon that never ends. Mm-hmm. But if you can be different, it's so much easier to be different. You know, and we've seen that from you know Southwest Airlines, from Apple, uh, Uber, early on it, in the yeah. second, and you know Google and whatever. I mean, pick your ones the companies that are that are really winning over a long period of time. Um, they're generally unique and they're just unique enough that it's hard to compete against them. And Southwest is probably the greatest example, right? They're in an industry that is, it is, um, notably one that is constantly in financial trouble. It's not run. I I always joke that, that the, these airlines are always competing to go out of business so they can get the money from the government first. (laughs) (laughs) Well said, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) But Southwest, you know, didn't do right. They've, they've never taken any money from the government. Would you say that? Because like, wasn't their whole thing like, what business are we in? We're in the transportation point A to point B. So we compete with buses and railroads and walking all that stuff. But would you say, Bill, that they've lost that? foresight because of what they've been dealing with over the last couple of years? Well, kind so of proof behind happened, what you're saying. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know much about what they're doing, but it sounds like what they've done is the model that, that they put in place, they got a little complacent, right? And, and with when these factors that don't usually come together, came together all at once, mm-hmm. um, they ran into trouble and their system couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so my understanding is they're fixing that. Uh, so, but, but it all started. It kind of all didn't. It all start with kind of to your point about these different, like different. Is it what business they they were asking themselves? What business are we in? Question versus like doing what the whole industry is telling us we should be doing. Yeah. So you know what often often businesses start from the wrong premise in general because they're just they're they're looking at the industry and say how can we be better than they are, right? The better mousetrap thing, which assumes, which makes a presumption that. The industry is doing it well. <laughs> yeah. Right. And and often it's not, right? Uh, at some point, somebody made some decision, arbitrary decision to do something, and everyone just sort of followed along. It's sort of like pricing, right? Yeah. How do you yeah. price? You, you look at your competitors and you say, oh, you know, let's see, what are we doing? We don't go to our customer and understand their value and, and, and how much it's costing them in time and energy and resources, et cetera. We just assume that these other people know what they're doing. And, and I will tell you, very often that is wrong. And and I think a good example of that is is the phone with 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 Apple in 2007. You know, Steve Ballmer made a very bold statement uh, when he was running Microsoft and said, you know, who is going to pay that much money for a phone? They're not going to have any market share at all. And guess what? He was right. In the first year or so, um, Apple only had about four percent market share, according to some stuff I've read. 
but they had 50% of all the profit in the industry. So who cares what your market share is? <laughs> yeah, they were taking all the money in, right? Yeah, which, right. by the way, allowed them to grow and do other stuff, you know, which is exactly what Steve Jobs wanted to do. And, um, and, and what I, I don't know how he had worded it, but I mean, would you, I don't even think Steve Jobs would have said he was in the phone business anyways, right? Like you, I don't know if he was, and I, I, again, I don't know exactly how he would have worded it, but it's kind of the whole looking different, right? Because it's not a phone. It's like, it's going to be a, music player it's a computer in your pocket yeah well so i think what what drives what drove and i think still drives apple is i don't know what their strategy is i made up these words Mm -hmm. um i probably read them somewhere but i think their strategy is simply amazing and amazingly simple that's it everything they do is that yep Yep. now now they do it with technology you know they sort of had it in this container of technology etc but that's what they do. And, and they're always trying to, to strive for that. So he doesn't necessarily care what business he's in. You know, like the, he went into the music business and mm-hmm. he said, there's a huge gap in this. A hor- talk about a horribly run business, right? Yeah. 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 Um, Simply he, amazing. Amazingly simple. Yeah. No, I, yeah I like how it. do we yeah. do this? How do we make yep. it amazing and simple, right? iTunes was first and then the mm-hmm. device was second, right? He said, mm-hmm. you know, we need to create this ecosystem first so then the users can do what they really want to do with music, not the way they're being forced to do it mm-hmm. today. And he was fought, you know, tooth and nail. Finally, mm-hmm. he got someone to succumb. And as soon as they succumbed, everyone else started to follow along. Yep. Yep. So I don't know that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if about how, how, he, how he thinks no, about it. No, no, because you were talking about how, like, you think that most people start on the wrong premise that the industry is doing it right. So that's why the different matters. And I think you, this goes back to the, my question of, what is the type of thinking? And like, and I think it's, what's the whole, um, the phrase, the, the, the story too, of like, Hey, if you gave me an ax to chop down a tree, I'd spend the first four hours shop, you know, yeah, sharpening Abe it. Lincoln, yeah. Abe and it's back to Abe Lincoln. And I, I think most people are handed a sledgehammer and they just keep hitting the dream like harder, harder, harder. And it's interesting how you word that. Cause it is the thinking. I think, I think a lot of people that my, my old self, my past, but also a lot of people I've worked with bill, they, they 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 have this gut feeling that they need to spend more time thinking, but they don't know how to do it, and then they devalue it because they're so busy fighting fires or the dopamine that of chasing the fires. That how important this part is. Yeah, yeah, and um, the so there's there's a couple of reasons why is our brain is working against us in this case, right? Because our brain likes it likes conclusion and it likes um, answers. Uh, and strategy is often about questions. It's not about answers, right? And so it's uncomfortable. And so it doesn't feel right. And we, we, especially in this Western sort of culture, equate doing nothing with thinking, mm-hmm. right? And, and doing nothing is terrible. You're not supposed to ever be doing nothing. You're supposed to, you know, whenever you talk to anybody you, you haven't seen or, or a while or you just met, it's, you know, it's, it's, they always tell you how busy they are. Uh, it's just so busy. There's so many things going on. Right. And this is sort of like a badge, right? Um, yeah. Like, well, that I don't say like that. Sucks. <laughs> right. Uh, I'm, I, I was busy, right? I did 25 years of startups. I know busy, right? I know stuff that you, you know, when you have 15, 16 hour days and, you know, even when you're not at work, you're thinking about work. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, I try not to be busy at all. I'm trying to do very high value activities, right? And focus my energy on those and try to make them happen because mm-hmm. I know when they happen, they have a big, you know, have an outsized mm-hmm. impact. But we don't we don't really have that as a culture. So there are so many things working against us as a leader. Uh-huh. You know, when I work with startup founders, um, they 
they come to me and say, you know, what, you know, what advice do you have? Because I've done so many and, 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 and they're pretty good outcomes. They weren't really me. I, you know, it wasn't me, but I was part of that. And, you know, I always give them the same two, two things of advice, which is first, find a problem worth solving that you enjoy solving and in a large enough market that you can make a real business out of it. And the second thing I say is don't run out of money. I said, those are the only two things you have to worry about until you come up with a business model. Right. Um, and, and Steve Blank has a great example of, 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 you know, the definition of a startup is a temporary organization in search of a business model. If you <laughs> don't so find a business model, you are not a business. Don't act like a business, you know, don't worry about culture and all these things that we're taught. Just figure out, is there something there? Once you do that and you're through that knothole, then that you knot have to hole, I love it. <laughs> Yeah. I love right? it so much. I love it so much. And so you, when you and I were talking at the conference, Bill, you had, uh, you had, you said some kind of phrase that I absolutely resonated with. You were, you were, uh, on the way back, I believe from a sales call with one of your founders and one of the startups and they said, the customer doesn't get it. And I yeah. think this is like, can you maybe tell the story? Obviously in the, the, the colorful way that you did. Cause I think it's, it's just, it's so point on point. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So um, about 10 or 15 years ago, uh, I was in between startups and I was asked to do a bunch of consulting stuff. And so a friend of mine asked me to go help this company with, they were having tr struggles selling. So I went on three f sales calls with a, with one of the founders over about a week or so. And each time after each call that didn't really go that well, he said, they just don't get it. And after the third time I heard this, I looked at him and I said, Jason, I said, your sentence is perfect. Your pronouns are wrong. <laughs> they don't have to get it. You have to get it. You're trying to solve their problem. You're not trying to convince them how smart you are. Know, they don't man. care how smart you are. They don't care what you do. They only care what you do does for them. And until you figure that out, they will never get it and you won't have a business. Yeah. And I don't really think, I don't, I think they didn't make it. Well, it's like in like, See how well that works for you over time. Like, like, so the cost of being right is you have no business. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and like, it's really interesting, Bill, because I mean, effectively for nine years, I've been trying to figure out the messaging for the problem I've been trying to solve. Mm -hmm. And like, be, and because I went through it, I knew that the, the people I was trying to talk to weren't wrong. So I had this weird, like, that's what stuck me at it for so long. It's like, I know the problem because I went through it, but right. it was this messaging and the product pricing fit all the stuff you're talking about. I bumbled my way into, I never ran out of cash, but like the energy and the, all of that. But like, it's so important to start with that idea and think through that idea the right way. So you don't run out of cash, like you said, and you can build the right team without like bringing the wrong people on. I think the order that you laid this stuff out on is just brilliant. Yeah. Well, so, so what you said, I think what you said is really insightful and deserves a little more time and energy. Um, so you actually might be solving the problem, the right problem and doing it the right way, but, but your people aren't getting it right. People want to, people want to be gotten right. They want you to get them. And the way you get them is by using words. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so I had this issue at a company that was uh, called live vault, which was really early in the online data protection business. And uh, this was 2005. So they'd been in business for, I think, eight or nine years. I'd gone through seven rounds of funding and they were still struggling. Mm -hmm. um, and they asked me to come in because they wanted to add another channel. And the guy that was doing it wasn't really, really have the background experience. So, and, and a really good friend of mine was running sales and marketing. So he brought me in and I said, look, for the first two or three weeks, 
don't expect anything from me. I said, I want a list of our best customers, uh, the ones that love us, and I want to talk to them. And I wasn't doing too true customer discovery for those who know that, which is really the, the first thing you should be doing mm-hmm. in a startup type situation. But it was more for me as the sales guy, like, you know. Yeah, you got to learn to understand. Yeah, I want to understand why. Why? What, what, was, what, was, what were the things that caused you to purchase from us? And before I did that, I went to three, three of the same. I went to the CEO, went to my guy, and I went to the head of marketing. And I said, why do you think people buy from us? And they all said the same thing, which was great. It was called, it was insurance. They said, look, it's an insurance sell, right? People will give us a little bit of money every month just in case their data goes away, which in my experience was, was heartening because most of the time when I ask that question, they say, because we're awesome. <laughs> yeah. It, not only did they answer that, but they also had the same answer, which is also probably encouraging. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I said, great, but I still want to talk to these people. So I went awesome. out and I, and I asked a bunch of questions. And there was one question that I asked was really the essence of what I was trying to figure out, which is what is the most valuable thing that you got out of using our service? And I used thing on purpose because I didn't want to say feature benefit. I didn't want to lead them in any way. I was just thing. And I talked to, I think it, I think it was 17 17 people or so. And I heard the same thing, the same words, like 12 out of the 17, which was set it and forget it. And that was the main reason they wanted the thing. They were super busy, small to medium business owners who said, you know, I know I got to do this. It's important, but I hate it. You know, I've got tapes all over the place. I got to, I got to bring them home. I got to put them in a thing. I got to store them. I got to, you know, all this stuff I got to worry about. And you're telling me I get on, this was before mobile, right? So you're getting on a, a website. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tap a bunch of, you know, hit a bunch of, bunch of boxes and then that's it. I don't have to do anything ever again. You do everything for me. They're like, how much does that cost? Mm. <laughs> you know, and they, they would almost pay anything. So we were selling insurance, but they were buying time. So I just went to my sales guys and said, look, whenever you talk to a new prospect, always say these five words. Our best customers love us because it's about set it and forget it. You're super busy. And they're like, oh, you totally get who I am, right? You're, you're in my head. And sales, we, we never, every quarter, every month, every quarter, every year I was there, beat the last year. And then Iron Mountain bought us for 10x revenue. Revenue, not 10x EBITDA. 10x interesting interesting that you bring up iron mountain too um so first of all that's so it's so fast because you asked the clients like what a concept right (laughs) (laughs) crazy and uh being empathetic wow cool and and the reason i bring up iron mountain is because i was gonna bring it up earlier are you familiar with norm brodsky yeah because of of, uh the the small giants affiliation but um with uh with norm he was on the show my god like six years ago or something like that but he asked this question because, you know, he had that big failure with his first one. And when he got into the paper storage and the document storage business, back to your point, Bill, he, you know, the whole industry says, hey, we're in the paper storage business and the recovery archive business. But he actually, what was it like? He was like, we're in the real estate business. And then he started building all of his metrics off of real estate, went on 20 some million in revenue. He was clipping at like 10 or 11 million in cash flow with EBITDA. I'm like, all right, you figured it out. But like, Back to your point, it's the thinking, the talking to the clients, and you and I have uh, talked uh, a couple times about this mindset of like the jobs be done. So I yeah. haven't, I mean, it's been probably five years since I interviewed Bob Masta. So if you want to just, because I think you gravitated towards that philosophy, you want to explain that yeah. to the clients or the, the listeners, because I think it's helpful. Yeah. So jobs to be done 
um, is a, uh, a management theory that's been around for about 30 years. Um, Bob Mesta, well, there, there are two camps that actually claim it. I don't really care who, it's Bob and this other guy. Uh, Clayton Christensen sort of made it famous because he was the HBS professor that everybody knew, wrote a bunch of books. But basically the premise is that people don't buy products and services from you. They hire them to do a specific job or set of jobs for them, which, which um, gravitate around three main needs, which is functional need, which, which generally we're good at, right? This is the push and pull of, of bringing people to you. But then there's also emotional and social needs. Um, and it's kind of based around this premise called progress theory, because your job is to help people make progress, right? To, to get past the struggle. And progress theory has four components. One is the push and the pull, right? So we talked about um, um, lawnmowers, right? So, so you're going to keep your lawnmower until either it breaks um, or, and for the record, I was talking about how I was cutting my grass because it was before we hit record and I was right, right, kind right, of cutting right. my grass. And then there was like the zero turn. I got a couple acres and I could, my wife couldn't even see me. <laughs> right. So, so, so there's sort of, you're only going to, going to do something if, if there's something wrong, there's dissatisfaction mm-hmm. or, and, or there's pull, there's sort of um, envy, right? You see your neighbor, you might've been, you know, doing your, uh, uh, one and a half acres with a with a push mower, right? And then you're like, you see this guy with a with um, well, what's it called again? Zero, zero turn with a beer zero hat turn. on or something. <laughs> yeah, the zero turn. Like, oh, I want one of those, right? So that's pulling you. But there's also two forces working against you and against any of us, which is called ha- habit and anxiety, right? There, you know, you may not have had this, but people have like, oh well, it's this, it's the fear of the unknown, it's the new, it's like, you know, what if I don't make the right decision, and that sometimes stifles us, or habit, right? You know, this lawnmower is good enough, it works, you know, whatever. I don't want to, mm-hmm. you know. So we don't often solve for the two bottom issues, right? In in the well, the two issues that are pulling us mm-hmm. in the opposite direction of progress, and those that really do and understand that go to great lengths um, to, to understand those issues with their clients and solve them, mm. right? So they take that habit anxiety away. It's like, you know, hey, don't worry about it. If it doesn't work, you don't like it, it's a 30-day money-back guarantee or whatever, mm-hmm. Some, something mm-hmm. that sort of takes that fear away. So all of that, sort of this hiring a job and firing it when something better comes mm-hmm. along and understanding it, you're, you're trying to help someone with a struggle, mm-hmm. Right, uh, overcome a struggle or make progress, as opposed to purchasing something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, uh, and, and and those needs are super important, right? So my example is Mercedes versus Toyota. You know, they're both really good cars. They probably both last around the same amount of time. But when you drive a Mercedes, so functionally they're the same, just about, right? I mean, it's a, it's a little more comfortable, but mm-hmm. in the end, it's not that much more comfortable. But socially and and emotionally. You know, okay, when I'm driving around in my C-class, whatever, man, people are going to say, Bill made it, you know, Bill's Bill's on, you know, wow, what's he doing, right? And I'm going to be in there thinking, you know, sitting high in my seat saying, yep, I'm in I'm Mercedes, pretty- <laughs> waiting with my arm up the window. It's like, you know, and that's part of the decision process. We won't admit it, but that is part of our decision process. Um, and that's sort of the, the whole jobs to be done approach. I hope you're enjoying the conversation Bill and I are having so far. I wanted to interrupt for a quick takeaway. This entire conversation will be 10 times more useful if you have a target equity valuation at a point in time that you want to achieve because then everything can fit inside 
of that plan because you can understand what kind of team can you afford? How long are we gonna be on this plan? Is the strategy the right kind of strategy? And do we have enough resources like cash in order to execute the strategy within the timeline that hits your target equity valuation? If we don't put the entire conversation that Bill and I are having within a wrapper of a goal, the clearly identified outcome of intentional growth that we constantly talk about, how are we knowing what we're pointing our resources of our team and the cash and the strategy and the execution to? We have no idea. It's just kind of crazy when you think about it. So I just challenge you, come up with the target equity valuation at a point in time that you want and then reverse engineer the three financial statements. If you can't do that, go check out the Intentional Growth Starter Kit where I walk you through in a spreadsheet and a case study on how to do that. If you know what you want from the numbers and the equity valuation and the cash flow, then management and operations will know what they have to work with and they have a higher probability of accomplishing their goals and for whatever it's worth, I literally just got done doing a key executive Vistage workshop and all of the executives in that room, all they ever want is for the ownership group to figure out what they want and why so they can do their jobs. So from the horse's mouth, they want to know. And if you've got a good team, my guess is they do too. So I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Bill. Go check out the starter kit and I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. Well, and I think it's so helpful, Bill, tied into the strategy, talking to the clients, because if you're going like... It, it all ties so much into the intentional growth philosophy and mindset because if you're going to spend decades of your time, money, and energy chasing something, wouldn't it be nice to know you're chasing something that people want and are willing to buy for the right reasons? And uh, then you can start executing on the way there that the clients want. So it's all, and I think, you know, your pull versus push uh, words are, are wonderful too because I've watched, I've personally experienced this building. I was in, industries, I mean, commodities of copiers, I mean, IT services became kind of a solution, then it became a commodity while I was doing it too. So it was just like trying to force someone to do something. It was just, it just it never hit all the things that you're talking about. And then in my first, um, my first crack at doing this for the fa first five years, I mean, it was like, I couldn't figure out the words and like what the solution or what the problem was like growth and exit this and that. But like, when I when you started when I started talking about goals and intentional growth and growth and progress, all to your your point, I didn't actually do anything different with the educational program. I just changed the title from the growth and exit framework to intentional growth. And then, but there's this pull and like the experience that you're talking about for me emotionally and from the experience and the execution, it seemed like there was such less friction. It's just like the conversations were better. The top, the dialogue was better. The expectation, it's just a different experience when you've tapped into this, the, the, the experience that you're talking about versus even though the solution might be the same thing, you're setting everything off at the right step. So that way the rest of the experience can be great. And I don't know, I just, my interesting way of reflecting yeah, like on how you, what, what was, what, what was it? I can't remember what, what was your first phrasing that you used? So the, the program was called the growth and exit framework. Right. So, by the way, so that was about you. Because of right? what my I'm giving you the growth. But when you said intentional growth, that's about them. Yeah. And it's about goal setting. And it's not about exiting. It's about, it's, it's, so it's the, the nuances are so crazy. Cause like yeah. it's about growing an equity value of an asset that gives you choices versus exit planning. People like, whoa. And then they freak out and then they hide in a corner. And so, like, right, it's, right. it's, but you're like, how you had framed all that up just makes a ton of sense because those words, and that discussion tapped them at an emotionally different level. Otherwise, and that, that changed everything. Yeah, uh, to me, that's compassion, right? It's it's empathy with action. You're like, 
yeah, I have this this growth framework thing I can give you, but it's really all about you. It's about you creating it and making it easier for you to have intentional growth. And as soon as you flip the words, you, you no longer made it about yourself. Mm-hmm. You made it about them, even though it wasn't about yourself anyway. Right. The right. words you used made it sound like, oh, he's trying to sell me something as opposed to he's trying to help me. Yeah. Well, and it goes and it goes back to thinking is the only way to solve this problem, thinking and talking to your clients about the problems you're trying to solve. Cause that, right. and that's why I love your order when I'm, I'm looking over here to your, your outline of the book, because it's like you have the order. And then once this is done, like Bill, like one of the things that I think myself and a lot of visionaries get frustrated with, you think so much, but you like, I actually do just want to execute, but I don't want to second guess my decisions every day. And I think a lot of the people yeah. listening in are the same way. And that's why your order makes so much sense. Cause I think a lot of people that go straight to the execution point, but then they don't know where they're going. <laughs> and it's just like, and, and they know that anxiety yeah. is sitting there. Cause they're like, I don't know if what I'm doing, cause I'm, how do you I mean, second guessing your decisions because they're not tied to a goal that you, that, that yeah, is clear. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The Cheshire cat said to Alice, if you don't know where you're going, any road will do. <laughs> exactly. So let's, uh, where did this all come from? I know we're kind of probably doing this in the flip, but I yeah. like the context. So, so none of this, none of this, I should say none, but very, very little of this is mine. Right. Uh, you know, I'm, I just, I'm not that sort of thought leader. Right. So this is all Drucker, Deming, Shine, Bennis, McGregor. This is management science over the last hundred years. The framework is something that I modified slightly, but it's basically from scaling up and Vern Harnish, which by the way, we talked about traction. We've talked about traction in the past, you know, and, and Gino was Mm -hmm. a scaling up coach for a a while. And then he sort of pulled out his own thing and, and made his own, Mm -hmm. his own deal. Um, So that's all this is, right. Is, is, and that's why I keep saying it's out there. But no, but very few people are actually using it because, as you said, they're just busy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that they don't want to. A lot of people I talk to are like, I really want to do it. And funny, one guy, one guy, it took me two or three years. I've known him for ten or fifteen years, and and we started talking. He's like, I really want to work with you. And I said, Okay, great. Let me know because I I don't push myself on anyone because what I do is not for the faint of heart. You have to really want to do it. And then you know, about two years after we started talking about it, I said, I said, Dimitri, um, so why did you finally decide to do it? And he said, Well. I knew that what you were going to ask me to do was hard and it was going to be a lot of work and I didn't want to do the work. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Props to him for actually telling the truth. Yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> so, um, so, and so that's what I'm saying it, it, this is hard stuff. That's funny Bill, um, that you say that. Cause you know what I've always said when people say, what do you do? I'm like, I sell hard work. <laughs> yeah, really. You know, cause we're sort of in this, we're circling the same thing, yeah. right? This is hard. You know, it's thinking, trying to figure out what a whole bunch of people want, you know, is really difficult. It's, you know, it's like guessing the stock market or whatever. It's, but it's not impossible. If you talk to enough of them, and I've done this hundreds of times, you'll find that two or three things keep coming up, right? And, and the, one of the things that I, one of the, one of the tricks that I learned is, is your job is to basically apply the scientific method. The scientific method is you come up with a hypothesis you find a target customer or, or um, owner, whatever, or end user, and then you try to disprove your hypothesis. And if you can't, then you're on to something. I but most that. people do the opposite. That they is- try to prove that they think what they're thinking is right. And guess what? They find out they're right because, you know, as, as Simon and Garfunkel said, that they hear what they want to hear 
and they disregard the rest. Yeah, and then the, the, the true scoreboard is the actual uh, normalized EBITDA and the multiple, but that doesn't get found out until the end yeah. when it's too late. Yeah, that's I love how you phrase that because, yeah, we can bullshit ourselves all day long that someone oh, okay. wants. I mean, I did for years. I mean, other than the fact that I went through it, I knew there was a problem. But like, I love how you said that because, yeah, you like we want to find. I mean, you and I both being sales guys get to know as fast as possible because then if it's not a no it's yes yes don't keep it in the maybe category (laughs) right and maybe waste a lot of time so how let's let's give the listeners a little bit of context of your you've been through multiple startups you i think you even said you were in the early ipo world and you had this product pricing fit so you started learning like what was yeah like how did all this come to be where you realized like there were some things missing and why you liked pulling out certain areas to create the the order and the framework that you have yeah, so um, so I did ten startups over twenty five years, all here in the Boston area, all high tech stuff, and it was really cool. I was, you know, I was one of the first people in speech recognition. I was one of the first people in e commerce. You know, I was in I was in the web in nineteen ninety five. Right, the web was invented in nineteen ninety four. Right, with Mosaic. As my the buddy, I got it. I date myself, but my buddy, my best friend, who uh, from college, he sent me uh, a, a reel. And it was Katie Kirk and these people going, the internet. And it was 94. I'm like, he's like, by the way, our kids are the R a, we were this, we are our kids age when this came out. I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> right, right, right. And by the way, and they were, they were saying it wrong. The internet had been around since the sixties. Right. DARPA, right. right. It was the web, the web, the internet was really hard to use because you had to do the numbers, you know, and it was just, you had to know what you were doing and it was a small group of people. And then um, Andreessen put this, you know, thing over top of it called Mosaic, which was the first browser, eventually became Netscape. So, you know, so I, I did a lot of startups and I was really lucky. Uh, the fr- I was five for six. The first, the first six, either was an IPO or an acquisition. And then the last four, not so good. Uh, so I Bring your batting average to down to the normal, <laughs> no, <laughs> normal well, still above average. Right? Yeah, still, still above, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't you know, like one but, out of 20 that they want. So yeah, you're doing all right. Yeah, so it was, it was pretty good. Um and so that's sort of what got me going. But, uh, you know, I think what's really served me well for things I that I find interesting, I'm very, very curious. And so I would constantly say, you know, why did that work? Why did that not work? And I got better and better at. And so it was interesting as I got better at learning how to do a startup, the startups didn't work because the founders wouldn't listen to me. You know, they they were doing this. They had what's called founderitis, which is they there fell in love go. with That's their idea. That's the word. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what was it? Founderitis? Yeah, founderitis. They fell in love with their idea and not with the customer or the problem, which is what you need to fall in love with. Um, when you fall in love with your own idea, then all of these biases come, these cognitive biases come, motivated reasoning, status quo bias, cognitive dissonance, whatever, right? All these things come into play. And I couldn't convince any of them. Uh, I don't think any of them are around anymore. And so then I, I kind of said, okay, what do I want to do? Do I want to do a lemon startup? And I really did. I love doing startups. I love puzzles. And, and to me, a startup is just a big puzzle. But between startup five and six, I had this experience where I was basically a coach, right? And I kind of made my own. I wasn't smart enough to know that there was an EOS kind of thing out there. I made up my own. It was basically an EOS-like thing, but it worked tremendously well. Um, so I wanted to do more of that. So I, I, I researched a whole bunch of business operating systems, probably about four, four or five, and then I really thought three of them were interesting. And it was scaling up EOS and I can't remember the other one, uh, Value Builder or something like that. Uh, and the one that 
really resonated with me was scaling up, which mm -hmm. is really where I got this people strategy execution. I changed mm -hmm. people to team because I don't think people is three things, individual team and culture, but team is the most important of those three things. Culture is great, but it attracts and doesn't, but doesn't retain. Well, and like if you build the right team, you'll have the right individuals and the right culture. I like, I like how you. Exactly. Yeah. And, and often the team culture is very similar to the company culture, but it is not exactly the same. Mm -hmm. People will stay on a great team and a crappy culture, or they'll, they'll leave a great culture if they're on a lousy team. hundred percent, man. So, so that's really important. And then, and then, so, so I sort of took that from Vern Harnish and really focused on team. And then I put strategy and execution together from my experience, you know, he has it separate and I think it's yes, but they're not one after another. He has this sort of loop that he does people at the top strategy, execution, and cash. And I just made a second loop between execution and strategy because yeah. it, it continues to loop, loop yeah. in there. Yeah. That's sort of where I came up with, with that again, not no original thinking really. Um, uh, but like, but, you know, but it, 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 uh, I hear you, but I mean, like realistically, Bill, that's exactly what I did. Because whenever I'm going, whenever I start any of our intentional growth academy or the boot camps, I'm like, I did not invent any of this. All I'm doing is trying to synthesize this to make it easier for all of us to actually understand it exactly. and, and then yeah. execute. And and to, it sounds like it's very similar passions of make it so people use it instead of put it back on the bookshelf behind me, right? And, exactly. Yeah. And what I like about your like, because are you familiar with the value opportunity profile? With Ken no. Sanginario, he's right in your backyard in Boston, and uh, he um, he his whole deal is is uh, the value opportunity profile, which is where where we lean on for the concepts of growing value. Remember when I was showing the eight functional areas and Summit in Jordan yep. is like, hey, there's this company specific risk of the future cash flows that essentially is the multiple, and he has this eight functional areas bill. But I, and, and this is going to tie into what you're saying is it's uh, strategy, people, ops, leadership. I, I could go through all eight, but when I, their, yeah. his whole concept is they all have to be in balance, which I like. So, cause you have to have all these functional areas in balance, but what I, what I, where I kind of, and Ken and I have talked through this in the, in the past is like, but you have to have certain things before other things. You can't just like yeah. go build out your HR SOP process. If you have no financials tied to a plan, you know what I mean? Like, and you need a good team. So like, I love the order that you had. Cause like, I mean, there's a reason that, People say you can build any business off of a good team and you got yeah. team first. So like, how did you start? Like, what were some of the experiences where you, you landed on this order and like how you actually pulled like from the other things? Like what were the, some of the experiences as you were going through the startups that these things resonated with yeah. you? So um, I've always sort of been Socratic in my thinking, right? Uh, I, 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 you know, people started to make fun of me after like, you know, 10 years of being a leader, you know, they're like, Oh, here's Bill with his questions. <laughs> um, uh, and, and I joke that I, you know, I say, look, you know, I, my job is to, uh, I say it, the, the, I'm a coach, but I'm really Socrates with a tool bag, right. Is I'm coming in asking questions and based upon your answers, I'm going to pull out what I think is the best appropriate like tool it. to help you get there. So I think that always helped me. So this curiosity that I, that I have with things that I care about, and then this sort of, you know, I've been, I don't, I used, I used to be different. I used to want to have the answer, right? That the answer was, was great. And I, and I blame my mother who's not with us, so I can blame her um, <laughs> because I grew up, I grew up in this little Cape, right? It's like 1500 square feet in this, this blue collar town. And for years, um, you know, I had wood, I had wood, wood shop or whatever it's called. And I made this, this thing, we called it the, the, 
the whatchamacallit. But basically, it was just this sort of thing you'd hang on the wall. It had two little tiny drawers and, it, and a little tiny shelf. And on this little tiny shelf was this was this saying that, that was there for years. And I remember it, which is, um, I, I, I thought I was wrong once, but I was mistaken. <laughs> and this was this was this is what I grew up with in my house. So being wrong was a bad thing, right? So, but I, I learned to be. I'm like, well, maybe that's not a really good thing. So I learned that you know to take myself out of the equation, become less. Can ego. I ask you how did you? Uh, I love it because I could, I'm I'm resonating with what you're saying. Um, <laughs> the the Tansom family is very competitive. So yeah. and even at dinner, <laughs> and so um, what experience led to you realizing that that was not a good mantra? Uh, so, uh, I, I, I was 23. I was up at Smuggler's Notch in Vermont, uh, just above Stowe, Vermont. So way up in Vermont. And I was playing, um, broom ball. So I'm, I'm a, I'm a 50, I'm 59. I've been playing hockey since I was five. So like broom ball is just hockey on with boots and a, and a broom, right? And it's in where the, usually middle-aged men go to get injured during work sports. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And I've been injured many times, but it's another story. Um, so I'm playing this game and, and, and I'm not really that good at it. Right. And, and I'm really frustrated. My team's losing it, but I'm thinking, no, I'm going to be great. I, have, I don't know how to do this. I'm, you know, I actually went to college to play hockey. I was a pretty good hockey player. I get played against guys who played in the NHL. I was not a bad hockey player. And I, but I'm terrible at this thing. <laughs> and I am more and more frustrated. And I was behind the other guy's net. And we were, I was battling this guy for the ball. And I just was so angry. I took my broom and I cross-checked him in the face. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. Right? And, and at that moment, <laughs> at that moment, I said, what are you doing? You know, why would you ever get so wrapped up with having to win and and be right, you know, uh, that it takes over your actions. So it was then and there, I just said, I'm never going to do that again. Um, I then, you know, I, I looked at different things. Uh, I, I became a, a student of, of stoicism, uh, which really has helped me a lot as well. And I think that has guided me a lot, right, is, you know, wow, you're never going to know all the answers. You know, you can't control everything in your life, but you can control how you respond to it. And I constantly try to, I'm still a human being and, and don't yep, do it every time. Yep, yep. But that's really sort of what got me there. Um, thank you for sharing. Seriously, that is, uh, I, I really appreciate that. And I, I'll reciprocate because I had, a, I, there's two experiences. One, Bill, I was sitting in, a, I was 23 as well, actually. I was sitting in a, an executive meeting with my dad, our GM at the time, and uh, and Canon. Can, I mean, we were a reseller Canon. So they were like, be, we were beholden to Canon. At that point, yeah. before we started diversifying into other products and services, and we're sitting there, Bill, and uh, I really despised RGM. Like, I mean, he—I I watched him take advantage of my father many times, and like, there's yeah. a lot of these things. And like, it, I'm sure there was both sides of the story, but at that point in time, I was young, family—you know, family business. I was protective of my dad, and we were trying to diversify how we were selling, and like, you know, because Canon wanted to know, and <laughs> they're like. They said, are, are you selling like just solutions? And and uh, this gentleman says, oh, yeah, we're doing this. And I just was like, we are not. And I just, <laughs> oh, my God. We got out and my dad grabbed me. And he was like, don't you ever do that. You, there's a there's a delicate dance to business and life. And you don't just go in there bowling a china shop. That gut stomachache that I got, that I just got telling that story, it takes something hard. And I think how you 
how you word that it's how you respond to those events that then going forward. I mean, it sucks, man. Like that is like eating crow to like a whole nother degree, but how did that experience change your leadership style and how you are referring to teams and how building teams and how that impacts building teams? Yeah. So I, I realized that, um, I, I don't need to have all the answers. I don't need how to do everything. Uh, and so I, you know, but my job is to create the atmosphere for those people to succeed, right? Give them the direction, the vision, and whatever you want to call it, and then say, "Look, I, I, I honest, I um, almost always had the same two rules with my teams. I said, okay, you know what we're trying to accomplish. We've, we've discussed, debated, and decided, right? And and we've aligned on that. I said, I don't really care how you do it. Um, so, like, if you're a salesperson, I said, look, if you want to make a thousand calls to make your quota, or you want to do a lot of research and make ten calls to make your quota, and you're successful at it." My only two rules are you need to be honest and responsible, right? You're responsible to us as a company and to the customer. As long as you're those two things, I don't care how you do it, right? As long as you're moving. And if you, and if something happens and you made a mistake, but you were intentionally trying to go to that goal, then fine, let's figure out what happened and mm-hmm. fix it for next time, right? Yeah, you know, if you're, if you're not, if you're being dishonest, then we have a different conversation. Well, and, and, so, and, and, and how does, uh, I love it, love it, is... What I found, because I learned this all the hard way, man, is like, because I I like to lead like that too, because I realized I don't I realized a long time ago I'm like, I can't be the, I I don't want to know all the answers. And actually, I look through that experience and multiple other experiences and the turnaround. I was like, okay, I, I just need a team that understands what we're trying to accomplish because I can't spend the time. But what I realized is that how powerful it was to give the KPIs that are tied to the goal. And if I didn't have the right goal, I couldn't give them a numbers, and then I had to do their job with them. So it was like all this like self-reinforcing yeah. up or self-reinforcing down. There was like almost no in-between. And so like how did – where in that – as you were doing that with your team, was did you learn that the strategy and goal was important first or did you realize that as you're doing that with the team that you needed to have the goal? Like how did that – the goal come into play with your thinking? Yeah, so so to me vision is is the most important, right? When we're successful, what does that look like? And sales was easy, right, because it was very, very target-oriented. Yep, yep. But when I became a GM and – that's a different thing. Um, that's super important because, you know, a leader, the only thing that I found that all leaders have in common is followers. That's it, right? Now, how do you create followers? You create followers by saying, here's where we're going, right? Because mm-hmm. they want to know if you're leading me, where are you taking me? You need to tell them where you're taking them. And then the other thing you have to have is courage. So the only real attribute I saw that was across all leaders, whether we thought they were good leaders or not, because everyone has their opinion, because one person's great leader is a horrible leader, right? And uh, probably horrible in this situation, but Donald well, Trump is a good example, well, right? I mean, I mean, like you can't deny that Hitler had millions and millions of followers, even yeah. though he was a horrible human being. Yeah, exactly, right? So you know, they decide if, if you're their leader or not. You, can't, you can never proclaim, I'm the leader. You can say, <laughs> I'm the boss, I have authority, right? But you're never the leader unless you're chosen. So you need to give them that ability to choose you and then the courage to, in essence, give your vision away, right? And say, look, in order for this to happen, I need you. I need your help. And give them autonomy. You know, do all these things. There's a whole bunch of things I've written in a post. Like there's nine different things mm-hmm. of courage you have to have to, to be a good leader. Other than that, humility, charisma, integrity, service. If you look at, you know, Steve Jobs didn't really have integrity. Mark, Warren Buffett didn't have a ton of charisma. Neither did Bill Gates. Right, they 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 um, market on the things that they're good at, 
right? Mm. And then if you're a great leader and you have a great vision, people will forgive you a lot of your faults, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, people just said, oh, that's just Steve being Steve, mm-hmm. you know, but I'm not going to leave the company because of that. I want to keep going. Um, so I think that's the most important thing you have to do. And by the way, if you do that, vision drives strategy mm-hmm. and strategy drives tactics. And it's tactics are your goals, et cetera. And the people and are I the ones say, executing. You know, when you're a good leader, not to not to sort of put you on the spot is, I think if you're a really good leader and you do that well, you don't have to give them the KPIs. Hmm. They figure the KPIs out for themselves. Yeah, I admit, maybe. Yeah, I, w- I would actually, I would probably agree with you with a slight tweak. Is like if they're, I think you can be a lot more general in higher level with your KPIs because, like, I mean, sales, ops, finance. I mean, you're going to have to have certain top line numbers. Yeah. But like to your point, like, it, it, I guess my experience, Bill, is that like once you have that vision. It's it people's ability to do a good job as adults. It's pretty high. Pretty high. Yeah. Give them their brains back. <laughs> there you go. Give them their brains back. Right. Trust them to make a decision and it's okay to fail. Right. I mean, it's, how have you, how, how do you uh, treat failure with your teams? Um, so I haven't had a team in a long time. I'm, I'm a, I'm a team of one, but it was, it, you know, as long as it was. So the example I can give is um, in sales. I said to my team, look, here's the deal. Imagine a funnel, and that's the product roadmap, right? So we're basically selling the product and the product roadmap, the, the present and then the promise mm-hmm. of the future. And I said, and you know the product roadmap because that's been shared with you. Um, and you know you have to do, you have to do SWOT, right, which is sell what's available today. But it was always a startup, so there was always this sort of more future-looking thing. They were not, weren't just buying the product that you had, but the promise of the future. I said, as long as you stay within this funnel and the inside of the funnel then you're okay. You have to convince us why we need to do something sooner rather than later. But if you go outside the funnel, you're going to have a really hard time getting someone here to, to, to back you because now you're asking us to be in a different business, mm. right? Then we want to be in. And now if we do that, we're going to create two companies, one company that did the old thing and the one company that did the new thing. Now it wouldn't be that discreet, but that's in essence what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And, now we can have that discussion at a high level. Is it worth doing it? Is that where the industry is going? But in on a deal, you can't do that on a deal. You'll never, you'll never win that deal, mm. right? Um, and I said, as long as you're doing that, then I was like, okay, if it didn't work, let's figure out why it didn't work, mm-hmm. right? And we re- we do we I do I would do something similar, but not as as um, compact as an after action review, you know, which is a military. You know, there's like four questions. Mm-hmm. Almost like, so that, almost like post, mo- post more, uh, what do they call postmortem and um, like manufacturing job pricing, like budget to actual. It's like, Hey, what happened? What didn't happen? Why, why did it work? Yeah. yeah there's four questions they ask. Yep. And, and you know, so what was it? What was the mission? It's a kind you, of you know, what's really so interesting. That was generally how we try to do it. You know, it's, it's super cool, man. Is like what I, and I'm thinking out loud right now is that like when you have the vision and the clear goal of the like the multi-dimensional it's not just a revenue it's the all the strategy vision goal that bill and i are talking about here is that what i've noticed bill is because this is i mean you can probably tell that this is very near and dear to my heart is i need to understand in order for me to work with in the other individuals is what's your intention right because like i got too surprised over people's intentions or lack of over the years and what I've noticed personally is that if we're unified and we spend a disproportionate amount of time getting clear on the same page then if someone messes up, I could give two shits because I know they tried. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Versus like, if we don't have that goal, I'm like, where, why did you do that? And there was no ability to know why they did it. Other was it self-motivation? Right. Was it your pocketbook? Was it your friend? You know what I mean? Like there's no ability to understand what, what's driving someone versus this. if it's the goal, they're going to bail faster because they don't like the goal or the vision versus like, I don't know. I just more, like I said, more anecdotal commentary as we're thinking about this, but like, it's yeah. so important to me to be like, why are you doing what you're doing? And then I've got a ton of grace for people. Yeah, I agreed. And David Marquette, who's a, a wrote um, Turn the Ship Around, you know, he he turned it from being a command and control model because he couldn't to being an intention model, right? He said eventually, because he, he took over a submarine that at the last minute, and generally you study for a, a year before you captain a submarine because you have to know everything that happens in the submarine mm-hmm. and how to do everything. And he couldn't. So he couldn't do the model. So he, he said, basically, I'm going to get the hell out of the way. He had he said, I have one rule, safety. My job is to keep everyone safe. And so I would make sure if there was a missile or yep. something, you know, that was me. But everything else was, I, Captain, I intend to blah, blah, blah. And he's like, fine. Right? <laughs> Your intention is great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And he said, he, he, I don't know if you've seen this, but it's a great little video he does. Awesome. Which is, and he, he says he, he looks like a dummy, right? Because you would, he said, you came on, you came on the, the, my ship, you wouldn't know who the captain was, right? Because every everyone else was doing everything. You know? Interesting. Just, I love it. So very fascinating, man. I, I like that um, a lot. This has been a lot of fun. I'm really happy we redid the 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 shot here. Um, is there anything I'm not asking that I should? No, um, I think we covered a lot. So the only thing that I'd like to wrap up with is that you know my, my I have two things. One is my mantra is. Uh, great leaders fire themselves from the day to day because they realize that few things truly matter, but those that do matter tremendously. And their job is to figure out what those few things are for their main stakeholders, right? And your main stakeholders are typically your team and your customers. Um, so that's, to me, that's it. the essence of what I do mm-hmm. and how I do it. Um, and and, and, and you, you didn't ask, you didn't ask me my definition of intention. I'm going. I'm a lot. I was, I'm going there. I'm going there. <laughs> Look at you. You got. You're you're prepped. You. I give you a first shot of that. Um. The. But I think what's interesting, Bill, is like it. There was a guy, Mike Spack. Shout out to Mike because uh he he's been on the show and actually he he sold his business after uh, going through the material and can, and this guy, Bill, he's an engineer by by profession. So I'll give him like he's a thinking machine. But I was asking him, I'm like you know, Mike. How do you, I'm trying to think of how I frame the question, but I think this is what you're doing too, Bill. Mike said, cause I said to him, I'm like, how do you explain to other people like all of the prep work and why, like, cause, oh, I know what I did, Bill. So this gentleman, Mike and I are very similar to like, where people on the outside think that they're, they're they kind of get like mixed signals. It's like, man, you just make decisions. Like it's like off the cusp and you're just, you'll just pull the trigger with not a lot of perception of thought. Or they'll spend so much time thinking. So it's like almost both at the same time. And I, I, cause I asked Mike, I'm like, how do you think about that? Cause he seems like he's the same kind of guy. And he's like, I do all of the prep work so I can be a decision making machine. So when that, when you had mentioned like that stuff that matters, that missile or whatever, that one thing might be, you have all of the prep, all of the data to immediately deal with that. If you have to make a fast decision, you can do that. But it's all the prep work that allows you to be a decision-making machine. It's kind of what you're yeah. doing. It's like all that clarity, all the data, all the people. So that way you can make those fast decisions without being paralyzed. And I, I think that that's what you're helping people do is making sure that, I mean, as the leaders, I mean, the ripple effect of capital, time, and energy of where you're deploying that, it's a big deal over a longer period of time. Yeah. Yeah. So what I do is I say, look, your, your decisions 
as, as a body, as a, as a leadership team, your job is to make decisions. Now, to me, it's to make as few decisions as possible, right? And the highest value decision. So you're, you're constantly, I'm trying, like trying to shed, you know, these little decisions, the operational decisions, you should make it so you don't make those. Uh, and the ones that you do to me, it's, it's, is it getting me closer to my vision? Mm-hmm. Right. So is it cohesive going up and is it not violating who we are? Oh, I like that. Right. So this is uh, in sm- small giants parlance. This is like real yep. manufacturing, right? Yep. They almost went out of business because they, a decision they made 10 years earlier that violated their quality value. Mm. And they started making hinges for laptops. And so they had a lower quality to keep their prices down. And when they, when, when, um, Who's the author? I'm totally blanking. Yeah, I don't remember. Um, oh, I know. I know exactly the story you're talking about. Small Giants, right? Yep. Uh, the, the book. Oh, you're talking. Bo, about, oh, you're talking about Bo. Bo I thought, I thought you were talking back. about the reels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when Bo went back, they found out that it was a decision ten years earlier. Ten years earlier, almost put them out of business. Right? That's crazy. Isn't that great? Dude, interesting? Um, there's a psychologist uh, that I, I follow that he he says that the things that we do are that are not aligned with our values and who that are not aligned with our values and our ideal. He goes, reality has an amazing way of snapping that back into order and it might take 10 years, but it'll, you can guarantee that the reality will snap back and it'll hit you. You just don't know where it came from, but you can always follow that thread back. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I agree. I agree. Last two questions. Uh, We'll do the definition of intentional and then where can people find you? All right. So definition potential for me is, is about being deliberate, right? Is you need to create this environment so you can make deliberate decisions, just as we were talking about, right? Is, is this getting me closer to where I want to be? Is it who we are? You know, what are the parameters on which we can make these decisions? Um, and then you, you just move ahead and your, your growth is deliberate. So when I work with my clients, we eventually get to about a year and a half to two years in, depending on, on them, we create a 36 month forecast, which is, uh, which is revenue, profit, cash, people, and widgets. And we, and then we just check it and see how we're doing. And then we roll it and the next year comes, we roll it to, it's always three years. So they're being very deliberate as they go month by month on what they're doing. So to me, that's what intentional or intention is. Where can people find you? Uh, so my, all my stuff is on my website, which is catalystgrowthadvisors.com. We talked a little bit about my book, which I have right here. Further faster. Um, love it. Further faster. It's also behind me on the wall. I saw that too. Uh, I love it. <laughs> you can download it for free or you can go to Amazon Audible to get it. I do a, a, a blog post, um, or a newsletter, whatever you want to call it twice a month. A lot of, as you said, I'm very much into do it yourself, you know, actionable things. I'm very much into actionable things. Um, and you know, my, contact info, all that stuff is on there. So it's catalystgrowthadvisors.com. Bill, thank you so much for coming on the show. I had a blast. Thanks for having me on again. (laughs) Again, I love it. As I was getting ready to hit record, I was literally just laughing because I'm thinking like the only takeaway I have is understand and clarify your target equity valuation. I'm literally just a parrot in a broken record. It's so hard for us to apply the concepts Bill just walked us through if we don't have a target equity valuation at a point in time because we don't know what we're marching towards. Revenue can't be the ultimate target because how do we make any decisions because revenue doesn't give us the context that we need. The thing that will be worth the gold at the end of the rainbow is a target equity valuation of an asset that that's worth a lot of money. And we can reverse engineer all three statements and then we can apply all the concepts Bill's talking about because we have a plan and a goal that has a wrapper around all these topics. And then you can know whether you should invest in that project, take the distribution, 
pay your taxes, hire that person. All these decisions will have a framework and it'll be a lot less stressful running the company. So I don't know. I apologize for constantly being a broken record, but if you want to see how to project out the value of a company using the three statements, go check out the Intentional Growth Starter Kit. We've got a bunch of videos and case studies in there. I appreciate you tuning in to the episode and I will see you next week.